Uh, I'm going to be preaching today. I got, before I get started, uh, I'd like to let you know if you brought your Bible with us, the text is going to be John chapter 6, verses 22 through 40. If you want to turn to that. Before we get started, I got some announcements to make. Number one, as I preach out of the ESV, I'm not declaring that's the, the Bible, the best one. It's just the one I prefer, so if you have a different version, the words may be a little different. Number two, as you can see, I apologize, I'm a wanderer. I move to and fro. In fact, when I was a pastor back in Illinois, uh, some of my people in the congregation had thought they'd been to a tennis match after a sermon. And uh, some of them had to wear a collar. No, I'm just joking. And the third announcement I need to make is there will be a quiz at the end of the sermon. It's not a pop quiz because I told you. And don't worry about it, I'm going to give you the answers on the way. Before we get to the text, I'd like to go back a little bit before I make a left-hand turn from the text and go back to the beginning of the chapter and just give you a little background to bring you up to where we're going to start. In the very first verse of chapter 6, we see that Jesus has preached on one side of the, uh, the Sea of Galilee and had went to the other side. And there had been a crowd of people followed him to the other side because he had, they had seen the miracles and the signs that he had performed among the sick. When he got to the other side, he preached and then served a sack lunch. And By the way, this sack lunch deal with the, the five loaves and the two fish. Who, who was this guy? Jethro Bodine? I mean, really, what kid has that much? Well, that's a sermon for another day. After he had preached that and, and, sir, and fed the 5,000, he perceived that they were going to force him to become a political king. And that is not why Jesus came. Jesus was not here to be political. He was here to be spiritual. And so he separated from his disciples, and he went up on a hill to pray. He sent his disciples back across the Sea of Galilee, and then he prayed. And we also know in the middle of the night, some, at some time, he walked on the water to get to his disciples. Now that catches us up to verse 22. John the Evangelist writes, and I read, starting on verse 22, On the next day, the crowd remained on the other, that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them. Here's the answer to one of the questions on the quiz. 
This is a work of, who, of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. I read on verse 30. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. As I was reading this text over and over again, I, at the very beginning, I was captured by a question that was asked to them. On, in verse 25, it said, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Sort of snarky, sort of reminds me of, Well, what are you wearing, Jake, at 3 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> he had been with them. They, they had seen him. He had fed them. They had seen his disciples leave. He wasn't with them. And now they get to the other side, he's there, and they ask him, well, when did you get here? Jesus sort of thought it was snarky. I know that because what he says next. He answers them by saying, truly, truly. Now, in the Greek, that is amen, amen. Amen, amen. When Jesus says, truly, truly, it's his PowerPoint. When he says, truly, truly, what I'm getting ready to tell you, you need to sink it deep into your soul. This is the truth. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves. And he tells them, do not work for food that perishes, but food that endures eternal life. Sort of like Jesus saying, welcome to Subway. How many of you have ever ate at Subway? Yeah. By the way, I just let you know, I've ate twice this week just for the sermon. That's my excuse. You know when you go on the Subway, there's three questions before you start at, uh, your order. There's three questions they ask you. You know what they are? What's the first question? Bread. What bread? What's the second question? Size. What's the third question? Toasted. Toasted. Yeah, three so you, you've all been, well, you know the sermon. Thanks for coming. <laughs> now, I, I'm going to try, and you're saying, now, how can he get those three questions into this text? Well, let's see if I can do it. 
The first question they ask you at Subway is what type of bread? Now, when you go on the Subway, boy, we got a whole lot of selections. We got wheat, we got herbs and cheese, we got white, we got oh, you know, a whole plethora uh, uh, of, of, of breads. But we're looking for just the right bread, right? From the Jewish perspective, and, and let's give them a little break here. Those ones that he's talking to right now, that Jesus is talking to right now, they didn't have the book. They're living it out. This is real time. They had been taught for years one way, and now Jesus is now telling them that this is a different way. So they're a little confused, maybe. They asked him, or they said, uh, our fathers, in verse 31, they say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. He gave them manna from heaven. The Hebrew word is pronounced mana. Do you know what mana means? What is it? It came down and they're going, what is it? What is it? They didn't know. And Jesus is saying, and it's interesting. See, the rab, there was a rabbinic teaching telling them at the new age when the Messiah would come that manna would return. Well, it has. But not in the form of bread. But in the form of the bread of life. In a man. See, they're going, what is it? What is it? And he says six times. Six times in this text, he says... In some form or manner, I am the bread that came from heaven. They're saying, what is it? He said, I is it. I'm the bread. They said that uh, our fathers ate the man, and Jesus says to them in verse 32, my father gives you the what? The true bread. And he also says, not only is it the true bread, but this bread, <coughs> I lost my spot. This bread uh, <coughs> gives life to the world. The true bread gives life to the world. Well, they may have been a little confused, but remember, they don't have the book. We have the book. So what about us? What bread do we choose? Oh, there's a lot of breads we can choose. There's a lot of breads that's been choosed. Buddha, Krishna, Moon, here in this country, Koresh, Jim Jones, Satan. Yep, I went there. Satan. All of these breads claim to give you something. They're going to give you, make you this, give you that, return you here. But they're all false breads. There's only one bread. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Boy, doesn't that just send chills down your spine to hear Jesus say, I am? Every time I hear Jesus say that, I just smile. I am. And I tell you what, 
his Jewish hearers would have thought too. Because when he said, I am, they'd have went right back to the burning bush where God said, I am who I am. Church, let's choose the I am as our bread. Next question, number two. What size, six inches or a foot long? We sort of put a measurement on Jesus, don't we? I think, I, I have, I, I'm going to confess, I have. And I still do, and I'm wrong. The Jewish people, in this, in verse 30 it says, well, then what sign do you do? that we should see, may, may see and believe in you. What work do you perform? Really? Do I got to go back to the beginning here in chapter 6? They had chased him across to the Sea of Galilee to the other side because what? They saw him doing signs on this side. He'd fed them Jethro Bodine's sack lunch. And you know, in the Bible it says 5,000. Well, you know, it's 5,000 men. You all know that. That number could have been 13,000, 14,000, 15,000 when you add in the women and the children. And, and he was here. Now he's there. Now he's back over here. Now this is, I have no biblical evidence of this, but you know, I, I, when I was thinking about this, maybe the soles of his shoes were still wet. The bottoms. Because he had walked across the water on the top. But he had made it back to the other side. And yet they want to see another sign. Well, what about us today, church? What about us today? If you hear this tune, Da 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 Or you see the seal. What do we know? The President of the United States at that time is either going to walk in, walk out, get on a plane, get off a plane, but we know that it is the President of the United States that's coming out. And because of that seal, he has a certain amount of authority. Church, let's look at verse 27. It says here in our text, For God the Father has set his seal on him. He doesn't have a da-da-da-da-da-da. Doesn't need it. He doesn't have a seal. Don't need it. Because he is the seal. He is the power. The Greek lexicon that I like to use, nicknamed B-Dag, says that his power, he was endowed by power from on high. His power reigns and is reigning in heaven. He doesn't need. But yet, don't we still measure Jesus? If we had to choose between a six-inch Jesus and a foot-long Jesus, this is my guess and my experience. We choose the six-inch Jesus. We choose the Jesus that when we're sick, we can call him and say, Lord, I'm sick. Heal me. I'm going to be in surgery. Let the doctor's hands be your hands. Let the, surgeon, let the surgery go well. I'm in financial ruin. Help me, Lord. 
So-and-so is sick. So-and-so needs you. So-and-so is addicted. It's the term I like to use. We turn Jesus into a vending machine. We put a quarter in the machine. We pull the handle. We'll get our M&Ms. That sort of dates me. Uh, but we don't choose the foot long. See, the six-inch Jesus, we can keep him right here in this church. We can keep him right here in this room. But the footlong Jesus, we can't control him. He's the one that knows everything in our heart. He knows how we interact with individuals other than ourselves. He knows how we act with people at work. He knows what we do in playtime. He knows what we watch on our TVs. He knows what we look on the internet. Let's choose, let's begin to choose the footlong Jesus that has the authority of God, the seal of him that controls and makes way for us our lives. Finally, the last question. Now, honestly, this is the hardest question to, I'm not going to toast to Jesus. And I'm not going to roast Jesus. But to me, I think it's the most important question we have to answer here. It's a relationship. It's warm and cold. Do we want a cold Jesus or do we want a hot Jesus? I think we want a warm Jesus. I think he wants to be warm. Look what he says in the text. Verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of, of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Sounds like to me he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to make sure that we're never spiritually hungry. He wants to make sure that we're never spiritually thirsty. He wants to be there when we're sick. He wants to be there when we're happy and we're not sick. He says in verse 37, <clears throat> All the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, catch this, I will never cast out. Get that, people? He doesn't want to cast us out. He wants to hold us. Not just for an hour service on Sunday. He wants to hold us for eternity. Finally, verse 40. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. That word, I think it's see up here, but in mine it's looks. Those two Greek words, sees, looks, one, believes the other, it's in the uh, present tense in the Greek, which means it is a continuous action. We continue to look to Jesus. We continue to believe in Jesus. Not just one time when we come down in front, but every breath we breathe, every step we take, we take because of Him. Well, quiz time. What was Jesus' mission? Do you remember? Not to do His will, but the will of Him who sent Him. Our mission is to believe in Him whom God sent. We're not ordering a sandwich here, folks.
We're ordering salvation, relationship, eternal life with the Creator God. He wants you to choose the way maker. He wants you to choose the miracle worker. He wants you to choose the promise keeper. He wants you to choose the true bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. I know that there are a couple of new people here, so let me kind of explain how we do communion. Uh, to uh, as a precaution against spreading the Wuhan virus, we do it a little differently than we used to. Uh, you'll get a double cup. In the lower cup will be a, a piece of bread. In the upper uh, cup, you will find uh, the, uh, as the Greeks say, the oinos, which can be in both grape juice or wine. Um, and uh, you hold it during the meditation, after it's given to you, and then after I pray, at the end of the meditation, we'll all consume both elements together. Now, for a very long time, even after I was a Christian, I perceived the passion of Jesus starting from the Garden of Gethsemane when he was arrested until he died, that from the time of his arrest until he died, that he was under the control of the authorities. And our modern entertainment culture produced films of that time that kind of supported that. And uh, growing up with that, that's the way I looked at that period of time. But it turns out, I learned about a, a couple years ago that that is not the scriptural perspective. And I want to share that with you so we can get a deeper appreciation of what Jesus actually did. So John's gospel in chapter 18 relates the arrest. And at the, at the beginning of that, it says that Judas brings a Roman cohort, which is about 560 people, heavy infantry, armored with swords and shields, plus temple guardsmen and people from the chief priests. 
So we're thinking here maybe about 600 people come to arrest Jesus, one guy. And Jesus sees them, and he goes and approaches. This is a paraphrase. He goes and approaches them and says, okay, who are you looking for? And they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. And now in most translations in English, you'll, the editors will insert the word he, I am he. But that's not there in the Greek. The Greek is I am. And what do these 600 heavily armed and armored people do? They draw back and they fall to the ground. And he approaches them and says, I say, I'm asking you again, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. And then if you read the synoptic gospels, and John mentions this too, only he doesn't say who it was. Peter takes a sword and cuts off the ear of one of the people there, and then Jesus heals him right away. And then in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 27, Jesus looks at Peter, and you remember the famous part of this, which is those who live by the sword will die by the sword. But there's a, something he says immediately after that in Matthew's gospel. He says, don't you know, Peter, that I could call on my father and he would provide 12 legions of angels to rescue me. Now, a legion is about 6,000 soldiers. So 12 legions would be about 72,000. I'm sure that one angel would have been sufficient. At any moment, Jesus says, I could call on the Father and he would rescue me. Jesus was in control the whole time. The Roman government was not in control. The priests were not in control. Jesus was in control at any moment during that. And if, you know, the... The New Testament writings don't give you the full depth of what happened to Jesus because they just don't describe it in the full gory detail. But if you ever watch The Passion of the Christ, uh, produced and directed by Mel Gibson, that one, that's historically pretty accurate about Rome, what the Romans did to people. Okay? And that will give you a full appreciation of what Jesus voluntarily went through, moment by moment, denying rescue so that he could finish what was set out for him to do.